0: Amen. Thank you so much, Emma. It is great to be with you. I wasn't here last week, and it was our, Ellie and I were having a week off. I think it was my first Sunday off in over a year, but I really, really miss being with the St. Thomas's family. We really, really missed you last Sunday. But it is great to be back. It is wonderful to see all of your half faces. I'm sure you're smiling underneath those masks. Not long now, we hope, until they can be gone in churches forever, we pray, Lord Jesus, may it be so. Um, this week we're looking at issues of justice um, for the past three weeks we've been looking at uh, the doctrines of ascension and pentecost and the trinity and before that we were looking at how we build community and today we're taking like a break from our regular teaching series we're just about to jump into a um, some some teaching on prayer to look at issues of justice now as you know here at St. Thomas's before we read the Bible we like to pray together a set prayer to help us focus on what it is that we're going to be looking at in the in the scripture. In the scriptures this week and so we're going to do the same today now we've been partnering um, for a while for those of you that were with us just after we launched you might remember we had Esther Swafield Bray who leads IJM here in England to come and speak at St Thomas's International Justice Mission who are the largest anti-slavery charity in the world she came to speak to us And they've been the inspiration behind what we're doing today and why we're looking at justice. So this is one of their prayers off the website. So I'd invite you to stand where you are right now and we're going to read this prayer together as it comes up on the screen. And this is going to help us just focus on where we're going as we look at the scripture um, together in just a moment. So let's pray this together. Almighty God, creator of the universe, i feel hopeless in the face of the world's suffering yet i offer back to you the only thing i can my ordinary everyday life i ask you to take it into your hands that it may be used to bring even a flicker of justice in your world a candle for peace and not just today lord but through the coming days as i move in your spirit of love amen Amen. Please do take a seat. If you've got a Bible with you or you've got a phone or a tablet or something, please open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 61 or turn on your Bible to Isaiah chapter 61. And you may also want to have a finger in Luke chapter 4 as well. If you're new to church, Isaiah is kind of halfway through the Bible. Um, Luke is one of the first books in the New Testament that talks about the life of Jesus. We're going to start with Isaiah 61. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 4. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. And restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And just to set this in its context into how these verses apply to Jesus, Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. So we're looking at issues of justice today. We're thinking about how the gospel in particular affects the way that we think about issues of justice and social justice. How does the gospel affect the way that we buy things? How does the gospel think uh, affect the way that we think about fashion? How does the gospel affect the way that we buy our coffee? How does the gospel affect the way that we think about issues to do with modern day slavery? These words from Isaiah 61, prophetic of the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus applies them to himself in Luke chapter 4, are the verses that we're going to use to inspire us to think biblically about issues of justice. So those verses that I read to you from Luke chapter 4 come immediately after Jesus has just been baptised. We've looked at that relatively recently here at St. Thomas's. Jesus was baptised and in Jesus' baptism we see this amazing picture of the Trinity. The son being baptized, the father speaking his affirmation over the son and the Holy Spirit descending and resting on Jesus, empowering him to do what it is that he had come to the earth to do. After this, Jesus goes off into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Luke tells us that after these two things, Jesus was full of the spirit of God. He was full of the power of the spirit of God of God. Now, it's in this context that Jesus goes to Nazareth, goes to the synagogue, grabs a scroll, which is the New Testament, and opens it at Isaiah 61 and reads these words. And then he makes this most extraordinary claim. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus is saying about himself that he is the perfect embodiment of justice. If you want to know what justice looks like, you look at the person of Jesus Christ. And isn't that true for everything that we know to be good and true? If you want to know what something, the truth about something, look to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of justice. Yes, Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. Yes, in baptism we died to self and were raised to new life with Jesus. And that means that our future um, destiny, our future for eternity is secure with him. But it also means that as followers of Jesus, we're to be passionate passionate about issues of social justice today. Look at these verses again from Isaiah 61. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus came to fix hearts that had been particularly badly broken. Jesus came to proclaim freedom for those who are held captive. Even for prisoners, Isaiah 61 says, there is hope of freedom. Jesus has come to bring comfort particularly to those who mourn and to those who who grieve you cannot separate Jesus and justice and you cannot separate the gospel from justice either I think that far too often the church has had a very narrow view of the gospel you know, the gospel is about moving from death to life. And obviously it is that. And praise God it is about that. Because I was once dead in my sin but have been raised to new life with Jesus. It is about that. But the gospel affects the way we think about everything. It affects the way that we think about human flourishing. It affects the way we think about marriage and relationships. It affects the way we think about money. And it affects the way we think about justice. That's why we need to continue preaching the gospel to ourselves all of the time. Because it affects absolutely everything everything that we think about now here's the thing about these verses yes they're talking about Jesus and Jesus obviously applies them to himself in Luke chapter 4 but because we are in Christ because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us because in baptism we've been joined in to the work of Jesus and the work of his body the church We are to do the same things that Jesus did. And that means if we are in Christ and Jesus is still doing these things today and we know that he is, we looked at that as we looked at the doctrine of the ascension a few weeks ago. Jesus is still proclaiming good news to the poor. Jesus is still binding up the brokenhearted. Jesus is still bringing comfort to those who mourn. Now, if Jesus is still doing all of those things and we are found in Christ, then what are we called to do? to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up broken hearts. Jesus's priorities should be our priorities. One person on Twitter that I follow put it like this last month. We should all be dismayed by a head in the clouds Christianity in which the work of Christ has no implications for injustice in the here and now. Now, here's the truth, church. Jesus did not come and die on a cross and was raised to new life for us so that we could sit in a a church on Sunday and swear less than everybody else and drink less than everybody else. Now, hopefully we will do those things. Coming to church is a good thing. Drinking too much is a bad thing. Swearing too much is a bad thing. Hopefully we will do less of those things and come together on a Sunday to worship. But if that is all that following Jesus is about, then we've got a very narrow view of what discipleship really is. Jesus came to bring us from death to life. And as we're raised to new life with Jesus, as we're caught up in doing the things that Jesus did, we're caught up in God's plan to renew all things. Everything, the way that we think about justice, education, the workplace the way that we practice law or medicine or whatever it is that God has called us to do. We're to renew all things. We say this a lot, don't we, at St. Thomas's, the only thing that is secular is sin. Everything else is up for renewal as God's people join in with the work of Jesus Christ. That means that the coffee industry should be renewed with pe- by people like Luke as they have a passion for, you know, as the gospel spurs them on to think about the way that they, they drink coffee, the way that they buy coffee. It should affect the way that we treat refugees and the amazing stuff that Nisha is doing with Nest. We're, the church is called to be caught up in the renewal of everything. Now, as children of God, we're to be passionate about issues of justice because the gospel compels us to be. Look at verses three and four of Isaiah 61 with me. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That call is for you and for me, to be an oak of righteousness planted to display the splendor of God. Now, throughout history, the church has recognized her call to be an oak of righteousness disple- planted to display the power and splendor of God. Throughout history, there's been some amazing moves of the church renewing and restoring culture as the Holy Spirit has empowered them to do that. And there's been whole societal transformation. The church historically has always taken a lead on issues of justice. In fact, having a heart for those on the edge, for the poor and for the marginalized, was one of the defining features of the early church. Julian who was a Roman Emperor who tried to repaganize the Roman Empire after Christianity was legalized found it really difficult to get rid of Christians and to get rid of the church and he famously wrote about why he found it so difficult to do this and he basically wrote in a letter that he found it so difficult to get rid of the church and of Christians because Christians were so radical towards the poor in fact he famously wrote this These impious Galileans, Christians, feed not only their own poor, but ours as well. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church today was known for that level of radical justice and generosity? Not only do we feed ourselves, but we feed the poor as well. And we know that that's going on up and down the country through food banks today, don't we? Again, in the early church, it was Christians who rescued the unwanted babies from rubbish dumps in the Roman Empire. Around the time that Paul was writing, just around the time that the first um, churches after Pentecost were being planted around the Roman Empire, often babies were thrown away and discarded on rubbish piles just because they were female. It was Christian families that took the lead in adopting these babies and treating these children and cherishing them as if they were their own it was Christians it was the church that was taking the lead throughout history Christian Christians have built more orphanages and hospitals than any other movement in history Christians it was the church that built the first hospitals and the first universities here in our nation and it was the gospel the radical free grace of Jesus that inspired William Wilberforce to start the movement to end slavery. In our history here at St. Thomas's, Lee was talking about this two weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday. Richard Clayton and Robert Wozni, who were the two ministers that oversaw the move from St. Thomas's to the Quayside to the Haymarket, they had an unashamed bias towards the poor. They freely educated hundreds of children each week. And at a time when you used to have to pay to reserve a pew to come to church on a Sunday, they would make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seats available and reserve them solely for the poor. The church has always taken a lead on issues of justice. But action is also needed now. Take the issue of human trafficking and modern day slavery. IJM, International Justice Mission, estimate that over 40 million people are in slavery, slavery globally today, and that human trafficking generates 150 billion dollars of revenue each year. $150 $150 billion, that's how much the slave industry is worth today. Two-thirds of that $150 billion, $100 billion, is generated from sexual exploitation and sexual trafficking of young women and girls. $100 billion each year. Another statistic from IJM, you can see all of these on their website. In 2016, A child went missing in India every 12 minutes. That's the equivalent of all of our children that are are here today being taken throughout the duration of the time that we're worshipping together. A child going missing every 12 minutes in one nation. Now, Wilberforce did an amazing job, didn't he, with the abolition of slavery all of those years ago. It was an amazing, amazing thing. If you don't know much about it, I really recommend reading into it because it is so inspiring. And yet today, there are more people trapped in slavery than ever before. And a really chilling statistic for us today, one in four slaves around the world is a child. Now, There's one story, just one particular story that I want to tell today. Again, this is from RJM. IJM are engaged in rescuing children from slavery all, all over the world in lots of different nations. And this is the story of a child called Foley. Foley grew up in a poor family. His mother was absent and his father died before he was born. And so he grew up living with his grandparents. When his grandfather was injured in an accident, a relative offered to care for Foley until he was healed, until his grandfather was better. His grandparents accepted, but they had no idea what, what lay ahead for Foley. Foley clearly remembers the moment his new boatmaster, he was taken off to, to, to go and um, fish on a, on a lake. Um, Foley clearly remembers the moment his new boatmaster told him he would be going to work on the lake. He arrived at his new home on a remote island with no school or medical facilities. The next day, he began fishing. 19 hour work days would become routine for Foley. Monday through Friday, his day started at 1 a.m., where he would row out in the dark of the night to set the fishing nets. Foley would return at 6 a.m. to collect the fish and then take them to the market, where he would sell them until 1 or 2 in the afternoon. He would then continue to work and would sleep at 8 p.m., only to start again in a few hours at 1 in the morning. Despite not knowing how to swim when he arrived at the lake, he had the dangerous job of diving into the murky water to untangle nets when they caught on branches. He knew of other boys who dove to, un- who dove to untangle the nets and never came back to the surface. Foley said, sometimes when people go on the lake and their boats capsize, those who can't swim die. I was sad whenever I saw this. One day, a boat carrying members of Ghana's anti-human trafficking unit and an IJM team pulled alongside f- pulled alongside Foley's wooden boat and brought him to safety. Foley said, at the beginning, I was afraid because I didn't know anybody in the boat. I didn't know what was happening. After a little bit, I liked the people though, after they rescued me and was happy that they came and was happy to be there. He and the nine other boys rescued in the operation, which was IJM's first in Ghana, were immediately given food, clothing and medical attention. He stayed at a shelter for three months before going home to be with his grandparents. That day, people were celebrating all over the community because Foley was lost, but was now found, his grandmother said. Today, Foley is able to enjoy simple pleasures again, like sleeping through the night, eating more than one meal a day, and playing football with his friends. Foley's just one child from that lake, in Ghana. Nearly 50,000 children work in Ghana's fishing industry, with tens of thousands working at Lat Lake, Lake Volta alone. In that rescue operation, the youngest child rescued from working in slavery was just four years old. We've got a problem. It's not just issues of slavery, though, is it? That is a big one, and it's one that we're really, really pleased that our friends at RGM are engaged with. But there's so many other issues of justice that the church needs to think about. Did you know that 1.2 billion people in the world live off less less than one pound a day? 1.2 billion people. 62 people in the world are as healthy as half of the world's population combined. The United States of America has one-third of all of the world's wealth and resources, one nation out of over 200. We've got a problem. Think about all of the unborn children that are killed every year, children that are abandoned because they're the wrong gender, There's so many issues of justice that the church needs to be engaged with. Now, I tell all of this not to make us feel bad, but just as a reminder that in order for any of this to be fixed, or in order for us to be able to even begin to think about this, we need a biblical view of justice. Now, in the Bible, justice has to go two ways. Justice goes horizontally, we need to treat one another with fairness, we need to treat the people that are growing the drink or the food that we consume with fairness, we need to treat people with dignity and respect, but justice is also vertical, we need, we need to be resolved in our hearts, the mess in our hearts, with God's perfection and righteousness, Now, when you hear some of the stories that I've told today and heard some of the statistics, an obvious question that we might want to ask is why is there so much injustice, sin, and mess in the world? And the answer, I'm afraid, afraid is closer to home than we might think. Why are people trafficked around the world for cheap labor or for sex or so that we can get cheaper food or cheaper clothes or whatever it might be? People are trafficked around the world in that way and forced into slavery because of sin. It's because our hearts are broken and need fixing. Take, take the issue of sexual exploitation, for example. Why are so many women trafficked around the world um, for sexual exploitation? It's to fulfill the greed in lots of men's hearts for pornography. Pornography is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars a year. One in three internet searches is for pornography. And it traps hundreds of thousands of women in slavery every single year. Just so that some men, usually in the West, can get their fix to fulfill the the broken desire that is in their heart. If the issue if issues of slavery if we're going to think about these biblically if we're even going to think about them being fixed then the answer must start with all of our hearts being fixed and mended by the work and person of Jesus Christ if justice is to be served horizontally we must sort out the broken relationship between us and God so that we can fix the broken relationships between each other but here's the thing We don't have to sort out in our own strength by working harder the relationship between us and God because God came in the person of Jesus so that we could be free and healed and whole. And so a biblical view of justice starts with this. It starts with us recognizing and us saying that I was broken, that I was contributing to the world's lack of justice. But because God showed me grace and mercy, because I have been justified through Jesus' death and resurrection, that changes everything. And that compels me to want to seek out justice for others. You know, as the church, we don't get involved in issues of social justice, for example, just a virtue signal. We don't get involved in issues of justice just so that we can make ourselves feel better, to feel like we're you know, contributing to our own happiness somehow. We don't get involved in working for issues of justice because it makes God love us anymore or because it somehow earns us our salvation or his love. We do it in response to who God is and what he has done for us. It has to be that way around. Tim Keller puts it like this in his book, Generous Justice. For indeed, grace is the key to it all. It is not our lavish good deeds that procure salvation, but God's lavish love and mercy. And that is why the poor are as acceptable before God as the rich. It is the generosity of God, the freeness of his salvation that lays the foundation for for the society of justice for all. And so here the gospel is really clear. We don't do good works to earn our salvation. We don't have a heart for justice to earn God's love. Rather, because God loved us first, we love him and others in response to what he has already done for us. Tim Keller would go on to say this, that if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he or she will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, they may say with their lips that they are grateful for God's grace, but in their hearts, they are far from him. If they don't care about the poor, it reveals that at best, they don't understand the grace they have experienced. Grace should make you just. Grace should make you just i think paul put it better than anyone when he wrote in his letter to the ephesians this for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works Which God prepared in advance for us to do in other words we've been saved by faith and grace alone however we're not saved we're not just saved from something we're not just saved from death we're saved to something we're saved to join in with the work of Jesus today we're saved to join in with his kingdom work we're saved to do good Works that have been prepared in advance for us to do we're not saved by them we're saved by grace but as we're saved by grace we're compelled to do the things that Jesus did and Isaiah 61 gives us a glimpse of what some of these good works are to renew the ruined places to restore the places that have been long devastated and so when we think about issues of justice, it's really important that somebody like me, a church leader, or whoever it might be who's talking about issues of justice, doesn't just beat people around you know, the, the head with a stick saying, we must do more, we must do more. We've got to work harder at, at um, modern-day slavery. We've got to work harder at you know, thinking about where the, co- the coffee that we drink comes from. Because if that's, if that's our prime motivation, then we're just getting stuck in works, righteousness. Righteousness rather the thing that we need to do is to preach the gospel of jesus christ that i myself was broken that i was unworthy of his love and redemption and yet he offered me it anyway and i've been justified with god and that compels me to want to sort out the relationships and the injustice with those around me the order here is really important Now, as somebody who's been saved by Jesus, you are an oak of righteousness that's been planted for the Lord to display his splendor. You've been planted wherever it is that God has called you to. Whatever it is that you do with your life, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, or whatever, wherever it is that you work, or wherever it is that you spend most of your time, you've been planted there as an oak of righteousness to display the splendor of God. And by the way, you're no better, you're, you're, you're a no better tree of oak of righteousness than me, just because I'm a vicar, that doesn't mean anything. You're just as a valuable oak of righteousness as you teach or as you look after people in hospital or as you practice law or as you um, clean the streets or as you work in the shop that God has called you to or as you go to your lectures or as you bring up your children. We're all called to be planted as oaks of righteousness for God, to point people to who God is and what he is like. And yes, we do that with our words. We're not into, you know, um, some Christians say um, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. We're not into that. We must proclaim the good news of Jesus. In fact, here in Isaiah 61, it says that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. So yes, we must use words, but we must also use more than words. We must do it with our actions, both things are issues of justice. Proclaiming the gospel is an issue of justice and acting rightly and justly is an issue of justice. Now all of us are called to do this. We're all called to reveal the glory of God to the world. And as I've already said, look at what happens in history when the church takes a stand and begins to do this. The abolition of slavery for one. The fair trade movement for two. The Sunday school movement that started educating children for free here in the UK. What is it going to be in our day? As people who have grasped the immensity of God's grace, his free, lavish grace that has been poured out on us even when we didn't deserve it. What is it going to be in our day? Are we going to see slavery ended for good in our lifetime are we going to see an end to people being trafficked around the world for sexual exploitation are we going to see an end to the senseless murder of young children because then just because they're not wanted by their parents or they're the wrong gender what is it going to be in our day that god calls the church to rise up to and proclaim good news to the poor and how is it today as we sit here that you can get involved in thinking biblically about issues of justice it might be something as simple as talking to luke at the end about where he sources his coffee it might be talking to nisha about getting involved in nest it might be looking at the igm website and thinking about how we can get involved in helping them end modern day slavery for good but the gospel compels us to respond and we're going to do that now can i invite you to stand where you are